Is Michigan State gaining ground at a position that could be an issue here in the future if it's not solved quickly? Let's go. You are Locked On Spartans, your daily podcast on the Michigan State Spartans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked on Spartans is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. Spartan friends, Spartan family, Locked on Spartans listeners, thank you all so much for tuning in to Locked on Spartans, your team in green and white, five days a week. Now we're going to hit football in the first segment. We're going to have some basketball, look ahead to this Maryland game in the second segment. And then third segment, I was on Locked on College Football show with Spencer McLaughlin the other day. Just for a segment, we talked about Jonathan Smith, whether he maybe regrets taking the MSU job and not waiting for another job like the Washington job, and just the overlook of Michigan State season coming up. So stay tuned to that in segment three. But right now, we're going to talk a little bit about recruiting because we are less than a week away from the second signing day. Most damage was done early signing day for Michigan State and every other program in the nation, but there are still, still some names out there specifically at a position that could be an issue here for Michigan State. Now, there is good news trending for Michigan State. If you look at 24-7 sports, they have five of their experts log crystal balls for Mike Shun Beeler, interior defensive lineman from Simeon in Chicago, six foot two, 290 pounds. Just to give an idea of the frame, yeah, a little undersized at six foot two, but just an inch smaller than Simeon Barrow. And also Dimitri Nicholas. While there hasn't been any rivals predictions or 24-7 sports predictions from him to flip from Auburn. Yes, he is a verbal commit to Auburn, but he did visit Michigan State last weekend. And talking to the fine folks that know a little bit about his situation at Auburn more than I do. Seems like that it'd be a shock if he says War Eagle on signing day. So we could be trending in the right direction for two defensive linemen. Good. <laughs> because, um, hey guys, uh, I think, I like to think at least, that we were pretty fair with Mel Tucker in his departure. Yes, of course, we were hard on him for the outright bizarre decisions he made, which ultimately has him no longer here at Michigan State. But I think we've also thrown him a few bones, saying that, hey, you know what, he's actually filled this roster with enough talent that makes it a little easier for Jonathan Smith. A little easier than it could be elsewhere in the nation when you see rebuilding projects. He has given us good four-star talent in the defensive backfield, for example. Jordan Hall was a nice get. Also in the interior offensive line, Gino Vandemark was a nice get. With that said, um, I don't know if he just forgot that defensive line exists or if that was just never hit on. Uh, and look, last year... On the outside, the defensive ends, clearly not the issue when you have Andrew DePape, by Job, and Jalen Thompson all in one class. But that interior defensive line was neglected the last few years. Uh, this would be, if either of these two gentlemen commit, whether it is Nicholas, whether it is Beeler, that would be the first uh, de interior defensive line commit of this class. Now, they did give it an effort, kind of, sort of, uh, earlier when Mel Tucker was still here. They had Francis Bruu in for a few unofficial and, of course, an official visit. He ended up uh, committing to Pitt, the team he was committed to all along. And then, yes, famously, they threw a lot of their, uh, well, chips on the table at David Stone. So, they went for two interior defensive linemen, and okay, let's let's zoom out though a little bit. 2023, because th this is this is really where it kind of starts spiraling out of control here. Last year, 
No interior defensive line commits for the class. Like we just said, they have to pape Thompson and Job. Okay, those are all guys defensive, and we're talking about the guys in the middle, the ones lining up over center or guard in that three-technique position, kind of like Mike Schumbeiler did at Simeon. Now, they did give it a try in 2023. Their official visits were Ashton Porter, Terrence Green, two kids that committed to Oregon in the end, DJ Hicks, and then Vic Burley. Now, this was a knock that we had when we're looking back at the Mel Tucker era. And the Saeed Khalif era, too, if you want to just put some blame on the general manager for the roster makeup and how you structure these official visits. All four of those guys rated inside the top 250. And that's fun. Hey, you know what? Credit to them for giving it a shot, but no credit goes their way for having zero backup plan when it came to recruiting that position. They went all in on some high-name guys, and they all went to high-name schools. Like we said, Ashton Porter, Terrence Green, both to Oregon. DJ Hicks went to AM and Vic Burley went to Clemson. And they had no plan B beyond those guys. So you go into the 2023 class with no interior defensive linemen. 2022, they got one interior defensive lineman, albeit a really good one. In-home four-star Alex Van Sumeren. Now, unfortunately... He's already had two big knee injuries in his career. He has not done anything here at Michigan State because of injuries. And while just the injury itself is one thing, is he even going to be healthy throughout an entire year in his career? He's missing those first two key years of development in college. So, yeah, you made a really good splash commit there with Alex Van Sumeren, but uh-oh, he's the only one in the last three recruiting classes unless Mike Schumbeiler or Dimitri Nicholas commit here. Oh my goodness. Now, okay, we will give him credit. In 2021, he got Derek Harmon. Okay, that, that, that's good. But, uh, wow, this is a big hole that uh, the last staff has left at the defensive line position. So here we are at the twilight of the 2024 class, and you got to use those last few spots at the next best available defensive lineman. Luckily, one of them is regional. Again, Mike Schoenbeeler played interior defensive line in Chicago. The competition to get him, yes, he does have Power 5 offers from Colorado, from Indiana, but it isn't the steepest competition. And Dimitri Nicholas, a little more of a, a steep competition. Obviously, just like we said, committed uh, verbally to Auburn. Penn State just offered him not too long ago, so that's going to be a little more hotly contested on the recruiting trail. But man, here's Jonathan Smith, with just a handful of roster spots left available. Probably looking at the defensive line room, seeing Derek Harmon, seeing Simeon Barrow, Maverick Hansen. Look, this year, this fall, this isn't going to be an issue. But he's also looking at those three guys and saying, um, huh, uh, who, who's, who's in this room after all three of you guys leave? Four, if you want to count Jared Jackson, too. Um, who, who is still going to be here? And what was the last guy doing with recruiting this position? So, yeah, that was kind of a mess again. Not entirely on Mel Tucker. Some of it has to do with Dyron Reynolds. That what what exactly did you do here in your one year here? I don't see a ton of development with the play for the defensive line. We saw zero recruiting. So yeah, yeah. Um, I would just want to reiterate this. It isn't all horrible. We do want to give Mel some credit here. Hey, it's gonna be really fun watching Dylan Tatum play some football this year. Malik Spencer and Jaden Mangum. That was really good safety recruiting, but oh, wow. Yeah, this is something that's going to have to be fixed here in the recruiting pipeline. Now, I will say this isn't something that we are full-fledged panicked about. 
It's no mystery that in this day and age, you can fix holes in the transfer portal. And my God, if you want some silver lining with this whole situation right now, it's that it probably won't be hard to sell immediate playing time to any top flight defensive line transfer. But again, it's easier and better and preferred to develop guys along the way than have to go fishing in the transfer portal because there are a lot of misses out there too, guys, just like last year. Former five-star, Tumisi Adelaide from Texas A&M. I'm fired up about him. You're probably fired up about him. And then, uh-oh, it seems like that former five-star ranking that he got uh, really doesn't make a whole lot of sense because he does not really produce at all out here. The only move that he has on the football field is the roughing the passer play, which he ultimately committed a few times before leaving midway through the season. So, again, I'm not worried about it for this year, this fall. You can patch it up in the transfer portal, but oh my god, uh, yeah, no wonder we're going all in for Mike Shunbeeler and Dimitri Nicholas, so hopefully these guys commit, at least one of them commit here in the next week or so, but yeah, just wanted to shine light on the defensive line recruiting and just long-term outlook here for Michigan State. Now, we will be back here in a hot second to talk the basketball game, a little bit about the spring game too. First, need to talk your ear off about FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Happy Super Bowl to all those who celebrate from FanDuel, like I said, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. Now, what I love most about the Super Bowl is, yeah, sure, the halftime show's fun. The game itself, it's cool. I like some commercials, but my God, it's all about the wagering for me. And at FanDuel, they have no shortage of props you could bet on. Same game parlays, stack it up, make some crazy parlay with a high payout. They have... An uh, incredible list of options at FanDuel. Or if you don't want a, uh, a parlay, you just want to just scale it back and have one bet. Pat Mahomes, plus 135 for Super Bowl MVP. Now, I like that bet because the Chiefs themselves are just plus 110. I can't see a situation where the Chiefs win the Super Bowl and Pat Mahomes isn't the MVP. So you're getting a little bit of added value there with the MVP bet. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58 and the MVP, but FanDuel also has bets for which player will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers gets even better for you. Join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, before we start talking about this basketball game on Saturday, there was some news that broke on Wednesday, and it is that, hey, on 420, blaze yourself into Spartan Stadium for the Spring Showcase. Two important words I said, Spring Showcase. They're not calling it a spring game in Jonathan Smith's first season. Now, this is something we've talked about here a few weeks ago, but it was tucked away in the third segment of a show, so I'm not going to knock you if you don't remember us talking about this. But the big question will be, What's the format? Oh, man, are they going to go back to a true spring game? Something that we enjoyed here in the Mark D'Antonio era. I'm going to dump some cold water on you right now. My guess is probably not. A, just by calling it the spring showcase, if it was going to be a game, they would just straight up call it the spring game. Kind of like how they did at Oregon State two years ago, when it actually was a full game in Corvallis. But last year... Kind of a similar situation that we've seen from Mel Tucker where the, uh, the first half, if not even a little more than a half of it, is just individual practices. It's almost just like a live practice that you're watching. And then a scrimmage for the last 30 to 45 minutes. 
Now to dump even colder water on you. Uh, last year at Oregon State, they even held out some of their star players for that scrimmage just to, probably two reasons, keep them healthy, take no risks on your last day of spring practice, and also leave a little mystery out there for the teams that may or may not be scouting you. So, regardless, if you want to support these guys, if you want to support Jonathan Smith in year one, April 20th, that, that's going to be a nice day over there in East Lansing. It's always a sunny day. It's always a beautiful day for football in East Lansing, but yes, uh, don't get your hopes up that it will be a full two-hour smash-mouth football game. It, it could be what we've been seeing in East Lansing for the last few years. Now let's talk about this basketball game going on Saturday, 5.30 at Breslin Center. Go ahead, hit, get yourself a home game. Uh, don't have to worry about it if you work on Monday through Friday. You finally get a weekend game that you can enjoy. Now, what happened last time when Michigan State faced Maryland? It was a 61-59 game, uh, which had Michigan State play one of its best halves of basketball this whole entire season, 44 points in the first half. But then if you guys remember, or better yet, if you blocked it out of your memory, uh, let me just refresh you here. 17 points in the second half. And I have not forgotten about this. They had eight points in the first 12 minutes of that game. They were out-rebounded by 15 from Maryland. But still, they got the win, 61-59. to And uh, look, what's happened with Maryland ever since that? Well, they've had two games. They've had uh, a two-point win at Iowa, so a nice road win for Maryland. And then they absolutely blew the doors off of Nebraska at home. Now, uh, they've also had a week off of games since then. It is going to be a full seven-day break for the Terrapins, so this is going to be a true rest versus rust debate played out in real time in front of us here. Now, the interior defense has continued to be strong for Maryland. It has been all season, highlighted by the score of the last game, 61-59. to This is truly going to be a first-team to 60 game yet again. Maryland, 22nd in the nation in block rate. They're also 7th best in the nation at two-point field goal percentage. Now, what they forced Michigan State to do last game, especially in the second half, was shoot 19 mid-range jumpers. Okay, that's very hard to win a basketball game if you're shooting 19 mid-range jumpers. Uh, they actually only made six of those when they played in College Park. That is below 33%. But unluckily for us, uh, Michigan State has no problem taking those two-point shots. Uh, they went 8 of 23 in mid-range jumpers against Wisconsin. Now, in that game, they were also 11 of 23 at the rim. So, it was just a complete nightmare in Madison. But, again, they, they are no strangers to taking the mid-range jumper. They, it even happened last game. The win against Michigan, 10 of 19. So, above 50%. But still, like, good God, like, 19 mid-range jumpers. Like, I, I, I don't know if that's sustainable enough to win a basketball game. Regardless, that's what Maryland is going to try to get Michigan State to do. They are strong in the interior. Michigan State made some hay in the second half against Michigan, scoring 30-some points in the paint in the second half. And that's going to be tough to do against Maryland. So, yes, they are going to be living between that 7 to 17-feet jumper range if Maryland has their way. So now, I will say this, uh, as tough as Maryland likes to make it shooting for the other team, they make it that hard on, on themselves to shoot just by merely existing. Uh, they, they are not a good shooting team, guys. They are outside the top 250 in the nation for field goal percentage, also from three-point land. They don't shoot the free throws that well. So just like we saw last game in College Park, this will be 
a first team to 60 sort of game. Now, BartTorvik.com. They do project a 10-point Michigan State victory. 68-58 to is what the computers are belching out at you. So it's presumed to be a comfortable game for Michigan State, as uncomfortable as it was in College Park last time. It was a very fluky second half where they did still win with 17 points. But hey, home sweet home, that means a lot in college, as will we all know this year. Now, what to watch for? What are we going to be watching for? It's, it's two very basic things. One of them is something that we've been just crying about for the better half of this season is just, can we get some more Cohen Carr minutes here? Um, again, this isn't like a unique take <laughs> by any means. We're all clamoring for this. But I really want to see what the small ball lineup can look like. Carr at the four, Malik Hall at the five. I don't necessarily need to see the two-center lineup that we saw in Madison two games ago. But yes, if we're going to just have our best lineup moving forward here as we get into crunch time, as the tournament creeps closer to us, just, I just wouldn't mind to see what it looks like if Cohen Carr plays 15 minutes alongside Malik Hall at the 5. That would be pretty nice. Just get some offense or some athleticism, God forbid, out there. And the second thing is, can we just see a complete game? I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to just whine, but like, can we just see a complete game? Just two great halves? Not, not like last time against Maryland, where it's a dynamite first half and then you just fall asleep in the second half. Or even the Michigan game where, look, Michigan, they had some incredible shooting in the first half, but it was still a slow offensive start for Michigan State before they absolutely barnstormed their way to a win in the second half. Can we play 40 minutes of basketball? I hate to be picky. I hate to just get on here and just cry and whine and, oh, I want my team to be good and satisfactory for a full two hours, but no, really, like, can we just do it for once this year? That would be great. Uh, now, what this game will mean, just like the Michigan game, not much. I don't think this is going to be a big seed line moving game, but speaking of seed lines, 1-3-1 sports, you've heard us talk about this bracketologist time and time again for two reasons. One, He's local. He's from Michigan. He does great work. Now, two, he is always one of the best bracketologists in the entire country. He dropped his first bracket of the year on February 1st, and right now he is Michigan State as a nine seed. As, I'm sorry, a nine seed against eight seeded St. John's. So that will be made for TV. Is overs Rick Patino. Whew, that would be a nice game. Now, unfortunately, that means that they'd face a one seed in the second game, and 131 Sports has Michigan State going up against one seed, North Carolina in Charlotte. And my God, how is it that every single year, whether it's Greensboro or Charlotte or. There's always, always, always somewhere in the Carolinas where Duke and North Carolina is just conveniently slotted in because they just have an infatuation with the Carolinas, that uh, NCAA committee. I'm sure there's reasons. I'm sure they have great hotels. It's very easy to get to, but enough of all that. Who cares? But anyway, that's what we're looking at right here. Michigan State needs to win a few of these gettable games to move a seed line. There, there's no game here. Until the Illinois game coming up next weekend where, you know, they could just jump a seed line in one fell swoop. All right, we will be talking with Spencer McLaughlin of Locked on College Football here in a hot second. So, you know what? What the heck? Let's just get to it right now. To East Lansing we go. A new era for the Michigan State Spartans. Jonathan Smith. Did he make a mistake? Because here's the way I look at it. That's Matt Sheehan, by the way, joining me here, Locked On Michigan State Spartans, making his inaugural appearance here on Locked On College Football. Jonathan Smith took that Michigan State job right after they lost to Oregon in the game formerly and now once again known as the Civil War. 
But since then, jobs that came open and were subsequently filled included places like Washington, where he was an offensive coordinator. And Washington out west is where Jonathan Smith has really cut his teeth and whatnot. I think the argument is pretty doable. I think it's pretty reasonable to say by jumping at the first opportunity, he missed out on potentially landing a, a bigger job than Michigan State. And I'm in a corner here because, yeah, this is a hard debate to have from this side because, just like you said, familiarity with not just the West Coast, but specifically Washington. But as far as jumping at the first good opportunity, well, it's a hell of an opportunity. I mean, Michigan State, just in revenue, if that's something that gets you fired up, top 20 in the nation. Like, funds are not going to be an issue at Michigan State, and you have the brand-new football building that just opened up. So all the facilities, all the money, it's there to begin with. Now you go to the roster. There's a lot of things to say about Mel Tucker. It was not all sunshine and rainbows at the end of that tenure, but he did recruit some decent talent, some young talent that's still on this team. And one thing that Jonathan Smith did a great job with, which is what we'll get into in a little bit here, is retaining a lot of the roster that was in the portal. Not just, you know, portal players that were going because, oh, they couldn't find playing time at Michigan State or they weren't wanted anymore. Like, no, there were some guys that were Power 5 players being sought after by other Power 5 teams that he was able to retain. So whether it's facilities, what the roster already is right now, and, well, just the atmosphere of the Big Ten being one of those programs that are going to be one of the big 36 teams in the nation. It's it's not a bad first job to jump towards, uh, in my opinion. But, yeah, I can't sit here and be like, yeah, I'm sure. I, I do wonder if he goes to bed at night thinking, huh, yeah, maybe, maybe another month's wait would have been there. But then again, there's no telling that that job was ever going to open. So Hindsight is always twenty twenty, and you can't know what – what what was going to happen, but but certainly, you know, he he's an odd fit at Michigan State. Doesn't mean it can't work, but just because he he doesn't have ties to the Big Ten the way he does at West. He's an Oregon yep. State alum. He's the OC at uh, at Washington. Like that's really where you know his footprint has really been as a coach. And he's going to a brand new area. He's got to you know uh, ingrain himself into a new fan base amongst people that maybe don't know him super well. Now at the end of the day. You know what makes you a good fit as a head coach? Winning football games. Yeah. And Jonathan Smith has shown as a head coach he can win football games. He had Oregon State fans in a place where they were disappointed with an 8-4 and four season this year. That's a program that won one game the year before he right. got there. So the guy knows how to coach, and the guy knows how to be as well the number two program in the state. I mean, sure. Oregon State was number two to Oregon for a long time and still is, but guess what? Michigan State, well, they haven't won a national championship. They haven't been to the playoff recently. They're number two to Michigan. So from that angle, it definitely does make some sense. But I just wonder if he looks at that Washington job and thinks, boy, I think the cupboards were probably a little bit more well-stocked there, even with DeBoer leaving and all the guys going to the NFL. I wonder if Smith wouldn't have been someone, uh, as opposed to what Jed Fish has done, who wouldn't have been able to step in and say, Hey, we, we want we want to build something here. We can win games, and if more guys wouldn't have stuck around, and I'd rather have Aiden Childs than Will Rogers as my quarterback. Yeah, and one thing that plays anywhere is just how he spots talent, once that fit his system, and develops them. And we're going back in the time machine here to the Mark D'Antonio days here at Michigan State. Now, it didn't work his entire career, of course. Uh, towards the end, it wasn't always sustainable to just recruit three stars over and over again. Hope that you hit a diamond in the rough and that they all developed the way that you would like. But in that middle stretch for D'Antonio, like, that was the golden age for modern-day Michigan State football. So on the offensive side, 
yes, that is a concern that he is not regional whatsoever. But as a college game grows, like it is a more nat- uh, national game, and he can pick and prod throughout the nation, which is already what he's been doing in the recruiting portal or the, the recruiting process. And then lending the defense to Joe Rossi, defensive coordinator who is at Minnesota, he's just really going to take the reins, and he is your Midwest guy. So as far as I know, Jonathan Smith, not really even going to touch the defensive side of the ball, and he's got the regional guy to do it. So just from, yeah, what a what a just whiplash we've been doing from Mark D'Antonio. Okay, we're going to do regional, three stars, our kind of guys, develop them. Then Mel Tucker, which is like, hey, if you're not a highly ranked four-star, don't even step on this campus, Buster. And now we're just back to the D'Antonio days. It's like... Like, I just I hope this works somewhere in the middle, which there's reason to believe that it could. So. I, I think there absolutely is. And the offseason for Michigan State so far has been solid. Top 20 transfer portal class in college football, yeah. headlined by Aiden Childs, who was billed as the quarterback of the future in Corvallis, is mm-hmm. going to be that for the Spartans in East Lansing. We'll get to their schedule in, in, in just a moment, but Childs is the name that stands out. He's one of the most highly coveted transfer portal players this offseason he goes with his head coach and OC and by the way I'm glad you brought up that defensive coordinator hire coming over from Minnesota because Oregon State took a step forward and won Mm -hmm. 10 games for the first time since 2006 when Trent Bray now Oregon State's head coach was promoted to defensive coordinator and changed that side of the ball so that's definitely an important aspect of this for Jonathan Smith when it comes to succeeding. But who else from the transfer portal or or maybe the 2024 high school recruiting class has you excited about the prospects for this Michigan State team in 2024 outside of Aiden Childs, who's going to be the starting quarterback for the next couple of seasons? Well, I'm going to stick with the Beavers program. Sorry to all the Corvallis listeners out there. But Jack Valley, tight end, he caught the most touchdowns of any tight end last year. And Michigan State is a program that hasn't seen a dynamic tight end probably since they were in the playoff in 2015 with Josiah Price. It, it, it has been a long time since we've seen a productive tight end here. So you get Jack Valley, a guy that is familiar with the system, just ready to rock and roll from day one. But also, hey, let, let's talk about, you know, positions that lack sex appeal, the trenches, the interior offensive line, because Tanner Miller, hey, midseason All-American, second team All-American on ESPN.com, I believe the site uh, was. He transfers over here too. Michigan State had some interior offensive line issues last year. I, I, I mean, tell me that's just not an instant upgrade. So that's really nice. But also, it's not even the players that they pulled in from other schools. Like Wayne Matthews, linebacker from Old Dominion. I'm fired up about him. But for Jonathan Smith, it was retaining the guys that entered the transfer portal just to see what else was out there. And some of them heard from big schools. Like, hey, Derek Harmon, he heard from Auburn, Ohio State, and Oregon. Picked Michigan State in the end. Simeon Barrow heard from a lot of schools. Geno Vandemark, interior offensive lineman, that they pretty much had his apartment all set up in Norman, Oklahoma for the Sooners program, but mm, snatched him back last minute. So it's just a lot of stories like that where guys that are entering the transfer portal, they actually have other Power 5 offers, some of them high Power 5 offers, but bringing them back. So it's just been a really nice transfer portal season for Jonathan Smith. Better than I ever could have expected, considering – how things have been here, and you couldn't knock any of these kids for wanting a fresh start somewhere else after the last few weeks, Spencer. Uh, that was pretty bizarre how their college season went, so it's been nice damage control by Jonathan Smith. So they go into a year in which they're, frankly, just trying to make a bowl game, and, yeah. and they have a schedule that 
could allow them to do that. Now, this is a 4-8 and eight Michigan State team a year ago, but you've upgraded a quarterback. You've got a better player along the offensive line. You have some returning talent in there. The schedule is where this gets tricky for, for Jonathan Smith in year one. And look, it was a slow build at Corvallis. He's not going to be in a big right. hurry. He's going to build right. his program his way. That's what he did at Oregon State. It was very successful, and they were a dark horse, Pac-12, and college football playoff contender in in, in 2023. So I, I think that for Michigan State, you, you start off with four games. They could win all of them. That I, yeah. I can't see him going winless here. They could win two or three, and I think three would be great. Florida Atlantic at Maryland, Louisiana at Boston College. Yep. I, I see at least two wins there. If you win one of those Power 5 games, boy, the chances of making a bowl game are very, very real. Incredibly real. No, it's great. And I'm also so excited to see uh, Talia Tungavailo of Maryland not get accepted for a 12th year of eligibility. I'm so <laughs> sick of seeing him. Tune up Michigan State. So, yeah, for Atlantic at Maryland, Louisiana at Boston College, just like you said. And I know Boston College are coming off of a bowl season, and you should never discount a road game anywhere in college football. Yep, agreed. But I can name harder non-conference road games than Boston College, <laughs> with all due respect to that program over there. So, yes, can you go 3-1 and one in that stretch? Well, certainly. Now, I don't know if you want to be the guy to say the next four games because this is where it gets a little I'll dicey. do it. I'll, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll do it. Ohio State yeah. at home at Oregon hosting Iowa at Michigan. That feels like one in three would be outstanding. I, if there's a contract right now where I could sign for one in three, absolutely. <laughs> uh, you got to have a feeling that it's going to be the Iowa game. That's the home game. Yes, they've changed offensive coordinators, but I got to say they hired Tim Lester, a guy that wasn't necessarily lighting it up at Western Michigan. So how much of a step forward is that Hawkeye offense really going to take? So, yeah, just on a nice sunny October day in East Lansing, first team to 15 wins. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> probably yeah, so. That, that, prob I, that, that, that probably would be the most likely one. They close yeah. with Indiana, Illinois, Purdue, and Rutgers. Three of those four games are at home. I, I think a bowl season is within reach. I don't think it is a given, but I think that'd be a quality outcome for the Spartans in year one under Jonathan Smith. Matt Sheehan is at Sheehan underscore sports on X, formerly known as Twitter. Host of Locked On Spartans Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. His first, but not his last, appearance here on Locked On College Football. Matt, thanks so much for stopping by. You're the man, Spencer. Thank you. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.